Good morning. You guys had enough coffee already? How many of you did eggs and bacon already? Okay, just bacon. Bacon is on everything right now. I mean, it's like, yeah, you want some waffles? Well, put some bacon on it. You want some, uh, want a milkshake? Stick some bacon in it. I mean, it's crazy. Hey, it's good to see you. It's so fun to be able to gather. And uh, I mentioned it last week, but we are now live online at our start times at all of our services. So hi, everybody online. And we're having a lot of fun with that. We're having amazing crowds online, about the same amount or more than what we have live in the room. So please uh, let these folks know that they are always welcome. Thank you. Some of you, it's your first time back. I already talked to a few of you, and uh, we're really happy to have you. And those of you online, when you're comfortable, we look forward to getting you back in here. Um, God bless you. We are talking today about Psalm 40. We, we kicked off a new series for the summer, and we're going to be looking at different psalms. They're ne- not necessarily related to each other. Every weekend is kind of a standalone psalm. Last weekend, we looked at Psalm 30. This weekend, we're looking at Psalm 40. And the idea of this psalm is the peace of God, the, the God who provides peace for our soul. I need that. You need that. We all need that. As a matter of fact, it's an interesting word. I want you to think for a moment about how we've used that in our culture. As a pastor, I've heard many people say to me through the years, you know, I just, I feel a peace about this decision. And, and I've, I've probed a couple times, so what do you mean by that? I don't know. I just, I just have a piece about it. So what is that? Because other times I've had people say, well, I, I just, I'm not at peace with this. Well, what is that? What that is, is a connection with God to your spirit man. You have a spirit. When God created Adam in the beginning in the garden... It was just a body laying there formed out of the dirt, out of the ground. It did not become a living creature. Adam wasn't alive until God, what? He breathed into that body. That's the spirit. That's that's the connection in your life to things like discernment, intuition, understanding, perception, All of these words that are a little mystical have to do with God's connection to our spirit man. Peace is one of those things. So it's not just a a list of something that you come up with. It has to do with an actual peace that comes from God. And sometimes peace is not easy to find. Sometimes it's a real struggle. But today I want you to dive in with me and look at how David found peace. Now i got to tell you, The word peace itself is not even in Psalm 40. So it's not a psalm defined by God saying, I'll bring you peace. But it's David's reflection. Real fast, quick history lesson. David was anointed king over Israel when he was really young. King Saul was still in the role. King Saul hated David for that and chased him around the desert for years. 
David almost died multiple times. He was hiding in caves. He was running from Saul. So a lot of the Psalms that you see and that we're going to be dealing with over the summer have to do with David crying out to God during these times. This particular Psalm, historically, it's believed that David finally, after years of running, found some peace and solitude in God showing up and protecting him and keeping him from death. So he finally has a breath of peace. That's why I'm using this psalm. Number one in your outline, this is also on your app. If you've downloaded it, we put all these outlines um, online and you can email it to yourself and use it later if you want to. Number one, how do you respond to waiting? <laughs> yeah. Some of you, don't poke your neighbor right now. Just let God talk to them. You don't need to, okay? How do you respond to waiting? So David starts Psalm 40 with one of the most interesting things. As a matter of fact, I almost missed it. I had to go back because I, I read right over the top of it. And I had to stop and really work at this. Let me, I'm gonna, let me read verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord to help me, and he turned to me and heard my cry. Now, typically, we would just read that verse and move on. But I waited, and then what's the adjective that he uses and how we waited? <laughs> That's almost like an oxymoron. I waited patiently. Like, like what, how, what does that even mean? How, how do you wait patiently? I don't wait that patiently. So, you know, here's the challenge. I've told you this before, so when, you're, when you teach on a weekend... You get, these, you get these outlines turned in on, on Monday. So all week, you're living with this. So I started to do a little measuring of my life. Like, how do I wait patiently? So I started doing this, and I came across several things. Like, I was pretty good in grocery lines. I really was. And I, I, I had this one time where there was like one person in front of me. There was four people on the other line. I felt lucky to get in that line, and then I realized why. It was... So I ended up leaving that line and coming back as number seven you know, in the other line. Uh, I, I did okay with stoplights, uh, stop signs. I do wish people would know their, know their turn at a four-way stop. Whew. Somebody go, please. But my biggest pet peeve that I had a really hard time with is at the, at the left turn green arrows. If you're car five or six. Because if car one doesn't go when it turns green, you're not going to make it. And you look through the glass and the windshield and you can, you can see them up there and they're on their phone or it turns green. And a second goes by, which is like a half a year. And they're not moving. And you can't honk because it's not the person in front of you. It's not their fault. So we need like springs on our honkers that go way up to the front. It's like honk. You know, and then they finally get it. And then the light turns yellow and they get to go. I, I actually, even in recreation, we hurry. Like, let's go relax, thick. our grandson bowling. And I'm like, go ahead, get up there. It's your turn. And Bonnie's like... Are we in a hurry? <laughs> like, uh, no. <laughs> okay, just sit down with your bowling ball. I don't care. I just, I'm not, I'm not going to hurry. Golf is the worst. You get with someone, they line up their putt four times. 
and then they still miss it. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Don't look at the person, but just, oh, it's bad. Eating, you know, hurry up. Oh, finish your dinner, hurry up. We wait, this is an average, I'm not making this up. We wait 42 minutes a day. It could just be waiting for hot water, the washer to be done, whatever. 42 minutes a day, that's the national average in America. Um, it's 11 days a year that we are waiting. That's two to three years of your life in waiting. How many of you are already frustrated? Think about this. Now, now here's, here's, this one got me. If you live in California or New York, it's five years of your life in waiting, especially in big cities. Crazy. David is saying, here, here's the point. David is actually saying, God, I'm okay. I trust you. And I'm going to wait until you do this because I'm going to mess it up if I jump in. I am waiting patiently on the Lord. Can you say that? Can I say that? Why? Because I believe he has a better answer than I'm going to come up with on my own. It's worth the wait. And some of you really need to hear that right now. Okay, number two. The Lord does what I cannot do. Now, David transitions about four times in Psalm 40. And I'm not going to read all of it, but I'm going to read most of it. But he goes from just saying, I waited patiently and the Lord heard me, to this idea of now saying all these things that God can do that he knows he, he can't do. Like verse 2. He lifted me out of the pit of despair. Despair is a spirit word. It's a feeling. Out of the mud and the mire. That's, that's a Hebrew phrase that talks about the lowest place of being stuck and I can't get out on my own and I will die trying. Someone has to pull me out. He set my feet on solid ground. He steadied me, steadied me as I walked along. He's given me a new song to sing, a hymn of, of praise to our God. Many will see what he has done and be amazed. They will put their trust in the Lord. Oh, the joys of those who trust the Lord, who have confidence in the proud or in those who worship idols. Oh, Lord my God, you have performed many wonders for us. Your plans for us are too numerous to list. You have no equal. If I tried to recite all your wonderful deeds... I would never come to the end of them. What David is doing here is he's saying, I couldn't get out of despair. I couldn't get out of the pit. But it is God who can do what I cannot do. He steadied me. When he says he steadied me as I walk along. If you've ever had a child, when they reach that certain magical age and they start pulling themselves up, you know, what do we do as parents? We go grab their arms and we walk along with them. And guess what? They're not going to fall if you're holding on to them. If you let go, they're going to fall. They haven't learned how to fully walk yet. That's this picture. And David is saying, God, you steadied me as I walk because I don't know which way to turn. I don't have all the answers. So I trust you. I, I want to just bring up one thing before we go to point three. Our culture that we live in, I think, misleads young people. We, we have a, a lot of young people in our church. And I want to say to you, 
there are limitations that you may have in your life. Our world tries to say things like this to you. You can do anything. You can become whatever you want. You can be the president of the United States. You can be an astronaut. Well, guess what? That's not always true. You can't be anything that you want to be. Now, I like the concept of putting hope and encouragement in someone, but there are certain people, the way they're wired, they're not going to be a professional athlete. They just don't have the coordination for it or whatever. And I have learned in my life, it's better for me to accept certain limitations that I have in my life. I don't want to live with a secular viewpoint that I can do anything. I think David has it right when he comes to God and he says, guess what, God? I can't do this. I can't get out of this depression. I can't make this happen. I can't force this. I need you to do what God does and I'll do what I can do. How about that? And that's why God created us. That's why he's God and we're not. So rest in that. Lean on him. Number three. Now this one gets really sticky. It's very important. We are called more to be than to do. We're called more to be than to do. Now here's the problem with religion. It's the checklist of what I need to do to make God happy. You know, I grew up a little bit with this. I love my growing up. No complaints. Mom, if you're listening. But there is a reality that we had some rules and there's some legalism in there that you do certain things. You know, don't smoke, drink, or chew or go with girls that do. That was just a normal part <laughs> of my life. Right? Took me years to get Bonnie off of chewing. I'll tell you. I'm, <laughs> do not tell her I said that. So what's happening here is David now, he's transitioning again, and he says a really powerful thing if you understand. This is in the Old Testament. This is when they were offering sacrifices before Jesus died on the cross. Now you follow this, verse 6. You take, God, you take no delight in sacrifices or offerings. What? What do you mean? It's God who required it. Now that you have made me listen, I finally understand what, what's happening here. He's going from the doing list to the becoming list. You don't require burnt offerings or sin offerings, verse 7. Then I said, look, I have come. As is written about me in scriptures, I take joy in doing your will, my God, for your instructions are written where? On my heart. This is the, this is the spirit man. This is not a to-do list that I check off the box and suddenly I have all the answer. And then he goes on, I won't read it all, but he goes on to say, I'm telling your people about this. I want everyone to know about this. If I'm listening to God and his will and his plan is on the tablet of my heart, then the doing is kind of senseless because I'm being sensitive to his voice. Some of you grew up thinking that God has a checklist that's required of you every day. That turns a lot of people off of, of following Jesus because you can't really make things happen. Following the Lord is the development of your life that has little to do with accomplishing more and more to do with the relationship of living 
and believing and understanding God's friendship in your life. And that is a shock to people because God's up there with a club and I do it wrong and bam, that's not true of God. He loves you. He created you for purpose. There's not a plan of a checklist that you have to do and there's joy in doing what God wants you to do. I need to learn how to please God in the way that he is pleased with me, not the checklist that makes me feel good about myself. I remember years ago when Bonnie and I first got married, we were youth pastors at a, at a church and they had a marriage conference and we went to it. And we were really figuring out this whole marriage thing. We got married pretty young. And, and one of the speakers said this amazing thing that we still talk about today. They said, one of the greatest gifts you can give your spouse if you're married is to love them the way they need to be loved. You know, so often we, we try to love people like with how I need to be loved, but I need to recognize how Bonnie needs to be loved. I, so I, I lived this out literally. I think it was year two or three in our marriage, and I, I grew up, my dad had a really cool collection of Browning, uh, Belgium-made Browning shotguns. How many of you know what that is? Okay, some of you don't have a clue. They're really cool. But they're really expensive. And Bonnie's birthday was coming up, and I thought to myself, this would be... Like, this would be the coolest thing if I could save enough money to buy her a Belgium-made Browning A512 gauge shotgun. Wow. I am some husband. I started saving and looking and found a couple I was looking at. One of my dear friends, John Pauls, he says to me one day, Derry, um, does Bonnie want a shotgun? <laughs> and I'm like, well, yeah. Are you kidding me? It's a Belgian-made Browning. He goes, have you asked her? Has she requested it? Not that I can remember <laughs> I did not buy her a Belgian maid, and she was very thankful. But see, sometimes that's what we do with God. We say, I know this is what you want from me, so I'm going to do this, do this, do this. I'm going to be good. I'm going to give in the offering. I'm going to go to church. I'm going I'm to do it all, and boy, you're going to just love me. No! God loves you. Done. You can't do anything that makes him love you any more than he already does. Done. Now it's about your heart having the peace of God and having the ability to discern in your soul what pleases God. That's what David is experiencing here. Number four, my weakness, his strength. David shifts again to recognizing that where he has been weak, God has been strong. You guys, this is a big recognition. And I, I challenge you to think about this. He says this in verse 12. Troubles surround me. Too many to count. My sins pile up so high. I can't see my way out. What is he doing? He's recognizing all of his personal limitation. Not a bad thing. They outnumber the hairs on my head. I have lost all courage. Please, Lord, rescue me. It's that simple. Come quickly. Lord, help me. May those who try to destroy me be humiliated and put to shame. 
May those who take delight in my trouble be turned back into disgrace. Let them be horrified by their shame. For they said, aha, we've got him now. But may all who search for you be filled with joy and gladness in you. May those who love your salvation repeatedly shout, The Lord is great. Say that with me. The Lord is great. The Lord is great. My troubles, my sins. I've, I've thought a lot about the sin concept. And years ago, I kind of came to this place where I, I don't even really say to people, you know, stop sinning. Because I've learned, people, listen, people fall into real despair over their sin, their addictions. If you've, if you've ever met with a true meth addict who wants to get out, I'm telling you, it is, it's impossible for them to do this on their own. I've never tried it, don't want to. But it's a big deal. And there's not enough strength without some help to get, and alcohol can be the same way. I don't think God cares about a sip of alcohol here and there. I don't at all. But I think that addiction pushes people to a place. Why? They're looking for that spirit-soul connection. It numbs me to my despair. It, it takes me to a place where I can have release from the worries and the anxiety of my life. And I just... I want to encourage us today to understand this. When I say to people, why don't you not worry about your sins anymore and chase hard after God? Why don't you follow? Why don't you start to obey? So as I walk, the sin starts to fall away. All of a sudden, I, I'm, not, I'm, I'm leaving that behind me as I obey, as I listen, as I discern, as my soul starts to be refreshed, then I start to chase God more. And the sin problem seems to just fade away because People already know their sin. You don't have to beat it over their head. God wants to rescue you. Last thing. <laughs> Some of you have waited patiently for that comment. <laughs> Let it get personal. Let your relationship with Jesus get personal. Not just the church thing. Not just the giving thing. What does it mean to your spirit man, the soul, where peace can really come? And this is how David wraps up Psalm 40. It's a powerful verse. Verse 17, listen to what he says. As for me, since I am poor and needy, let the Lord keep me in his thoughts. Wow, that's the hope. You are my helper and my savior, meaning deliverer. Oh my God, do not delay. It's as though David finally comes to this place in his life where he recognizes all these patterns. That's why he wrote Psalm 40. You can, I can't. I'll wait patiently because you know better than I do. I'll trust you because I can't see the future. You know it. And suddenly I'm going to allow the peace of God to touch my soul, the deeper part of me that God touches. That's why sometimes people cry in the presence of the Lord. It's just a release that comes because God is ministering to the inner man. Not just the body, not the skin and bones, but the soul of a human being that lives forever. That's the God part of you. That's the part that's redeemed. That's the part that God wants to have relationship and hope and joy and laughter with in your life because he loves you.
and he created you for this. I want to share one last verse out of Romans chapter 5, verse 1. And it says it all. Therefore, since we have been justified by what? Faith. Not by doing, not by accomplishing the checklist. Our justification is by our believing, our soul searching to say, I have the faith to believe in a man who died on a cross for my sin. And we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You need peace? You need faith. Just a little bit of faith, not a lot of faith. Just enough to believe. Would you pray with me, Lord? What a powerful message that David has for us today to recognize all these things that touch the soul. And I need you and we need you as our God, as our deliverer, to speak to the soul of our bodies. To speak peace into the inner man. Not in a spooky, weird way, but in a calming, satisfying way. That you will come and you will assure us. If you want to raise your hand to these next two things, feel free to do so, but you don't have to. I just want you to acknowledge it. I don't really even watch who raises their hand or not, but online, I, I want you to stay with us for these next few moments because some of you need to respond to one of these two things. The first one is this. I'm going through something right now. I truly need the peace of God. I can't do it, and I need God's peace to get me through this particular time in my life. Just lift up a hand or, or say, God, that's me. And the second one is, I'm going to make a decision today to wait patiently. If I jump ahead of God here, I'm going to do something really stupid. So I'm, I'm vowing today, Lord, I will wait on you. I will wait patiently on the Lord because you hear me and you can trust him. Lift your hand if that's you or respond in some way to God. Lord, I pray over these two groups of people who are waiting on you, who are needing to listen to your voice. God, I pray that you would bring the peace of God, which does pass all understanding in the human realm. That's what your word says. Take us to that place where we can clearly hear you and know that you are with us. Touch our brothers and sisters in this room today. Encourage them by your spirit. By your spirit, encourage them. And for anyone in this room that maybe doesn't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, listen, if you're here and all you know is the checklist, all you know is the doing good, you're missing the joy of a relationship with the God who made you. And I just challenge you, right now where you are, are seated, just say, Lord, I want you, I need you. I want that relationship. And I'm going to give you my life, and I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to partner with you. Just right now, surrender your life to him. That's the key word, is surrender. That's everything right there. Lord, we give it all to you. In your mighty name. Amen. Amen.